decoded. Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I'm delighted on this episode to be talking to Christian Arno, who has recently completed his first raise via an ASA for Pawprint, which helps businesses navigate climate tech and leverage their people into that decision-making process. Prior to that, Christian exited from a startup, which was his translation-based business, um, that had customers ranging from eBay to Eventbrite to Lush, uh, in, from which he ex- exited in 2021 in a VC-backed deal. He's also based in Scotland and active in the Scottish ecosystem, where he is an angel investor, um, has been doing this for years, making regular annual angel investments, and also participates in the uh, Ventures Together group, which is 130 business operators who come together and evaluate two deals every Thursday for which they must make a call and a decision whether they wish to move forward on the Monday. So Christian, it's, it's a lot to cover um, and it's a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast and be able to explore all of this. Um, tell me where you'd like to start. We can start with uh, Pawprint as, as the most recent venture or, or, or anywhere that you'd like to start based on that, that intro. And thank you again for being on the podcast. No, absolute pleasure, Dan. Yeah, let's talk about Pawprint. So um, what, would you, what would you like to know about how we're trying to, how we're trying to change the world? Or <laughs> Before we get to changing the world, let's talk about why, um, the process of starting up uh, Pawprint. Because it's interesting when you talk to Exeter founders, which we are talking to on, specifically on this series for mm. podcast. What makes you do it again? And what makes you pick that as what you're going to kind of forget it, dedicate the next few years of your life to? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. And when I went non-exec in uh, Lingo24, my previous business, it wasn't clear to me at all that I was going to set up another business. Um, you know, and I had some conversations with other founders about advising them um, and, and th- you know, various different thoughts. My wife saw it a lot faster than I did. She was like, you're not the type of person who's going to sit on the sidelines. You will be setting something up. Um, she didn't know what that might be, but she saw that I would be doing something. Um, and in terms of what it was, um, I guess I'd always had this niggle with capitalism generally, or sort of unfettered capitalism, that I, I didn't really see that it was taking the world forward uh, necessarily. Um, you know, I fell out with my best mate at the age of 19 about how to change the world, and, and I thought you could do it through business. And um, I guess around that time as well, my dad was having his his climate crisis. Uh, having been an, an exec in the oil and gas industry when he was much younger, he joined Extinction Rebellion, blocked a road in Edinburgh, went to prison, and sort of sat me down when I was whinging about Brexit and said, you need to do something about climate. So all of those things together made me think I've, I've got to set up a business that is, um, that's going to do something about the climate agenda. Can we just delve into that that sort of impetus from you from your dad, like, and and then and how how that sort of then led to the path towards pauperism? Do you, when you look at things like Extinction Rebellion and you look at activist groups compared to where, where they are trying to tackle this problem, I guess generate awareness and action around this problem and this issue um, in a certain way, do you still sit? On the side of actually, if you can reframe capitalism and capitalist models, and and that's the best way to engineer these outcomes, or do you think it's a blend of both? I don't want to get too political, but I'm interested in why you would pick a startup 
can go, actually, we need to go into companies and help with the people in those companies, engineer towards better outcomes that align to climate. Do you still believe that capitalism can adapt to that challenge? I, I, I certainly think capitalism is a fast way for the vast majority of the affluent West to have their impact. And I guess, you know, as a, as a sort of linguist by training, um, I feel like I'm more fluent in the language of business than I am in the language of activism or of, of politics more widely. So it's probably a personal decision as to where I feel I could have, um, you know, I could be more useful. Um, yeah. And, and let's then, so let's go on to, you know, what was, once you sort of thought, took up the mantle, once you listened to your wife and thought, right, I am going to do something. Um, did you find a co-founder? Did you find a domain expert? What was the what were the steps to kind of then launching corporate as an entity um, and kind of you know having a putting a trajectory to that? Um, so I started um, inviting friends and business friends to come for lunches um, here in Edinburgh and you know and to discuss ideas, um, sharing their expertise, um, and I also um, worked for a while with a, an old business contact who I knew was passionate about sustainability um, to see if he could support me because I was still quite busy with uh, Lingo at, at, at that stage even though I was non-exec um, and so little by little we sort of ran through the ideas um, we did a, a, a sort of a, an exercise of testing the concepts with users through the service design agency Nile HQ here in Edinburgh who incubate a very small number of businesses um, and, and, and that was how it how it got going. And do you have a, do you have an active co-founder or co-founders now that, that are part of it or is, are you driving the ship sort of steering the ship? No, uh, I, 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 yeah I'm the sole founder we've got three um, CXOs um, a board advisor and a strategic and operations manager on the on the sort of top team. Um, so right. Quite a tight team. Yeah. And in terms of kind of like um, going back into raising capital, was that when when you decided to do that? And I know you've just closed some of the round. Um, and, and happy to talk openly about about the round if that's useful or, or if not, no problem at all. But when you started to do that again, having you know been around, being a founder yourself. You know, exited being around so many startups, investing in them. What was that process like when you thought, right, I'm going to go again? Did, did you literally start and you know produce a pitch deck again and do all of that stuff again, or did you find another route in? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I the first business I, I was very um, loath to take on investment, and I, I ran it, I bootstrapped it for the first ten years um, before a, an angel investor came in, in in quite a big way for an angel um, in in I think 2012. Um, so I, I didn't have much experience of fundraising. Um, then when I came up with the concept, so around the time that I was having these lunches and, and working with um, uh, Mike Bonsall, who supported me a lot in the early days, um, I, I met up with an investor I knew and sort of threw into conversation that I was thinking about this idea. And I said to him, the elephant in the room, of course, is that I would love you to invest um, if, uh, as and when I'm ready. And, and to which expecting him to say something, you know, polite, like, yeah, uh, let me know when you've got the deck and, and we'll see. But he said immediately, I, I'm in um, and I'm in for for 25K, I think it was. And that gave me the confidence to speak to other people. 
and, and there was a sort of snowball effect on on the initial fundraising um, that got us to about about 500k, maybe 600k from 60 odd investors really quite quickly. Um, so that was great because I already had this network and people were putting a lot of faith in me um, without too much hassle. That 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 first raise was was fine. Um, yeah, yeah and, and I mean it, it. It comes up again and again, like the value of social proof and social trust. Not, not we have done a one episode that which we, you know honed in on old boys networks. I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's actually like when people trust you in that way. It's eighty, ninety percent of the decision, or in this case, it sounds like a hundred percent of the decision. You know, is informed by that trust. Um, and 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 obviously, then the question comes: What if you don't have that kind of network? You know, and that's possibly why. It, it's so inefficient when you are starting out without those networks. But it sounds like it sounds like having that, you know, massively expedited that path for you. Did you? When you took, that's quite a lot of investors to have um, in that five six hundred k. Did you do it as a syndicate, or did you did you do them individually? Um, did you use any syndicate based tools to kind of bring that to in, in together? No, that uh, we're looking at the process of consolidating them uh, now. Um, but no, it was, they were all direct at that stage. Right, and do you do you do you do you think that those that syndicate-based model? Because I I personally think that's where things are going. You know, there were tools like Odin and Vaban and all of, all of those sorts of things where you can rapidly form you know really value-add networks. I personally think is is a huge step forward. It's, it's I think it's a vital piece of founder tech. Do you do you believe that? Do you buy into that idea? Yeah, I, th- I certainly think that you know um, making the legal side. Um, faster and keeping cap tables clean there's definite definite value in that as you move forward um yeah and and particularly in in, in a business like ballpoint when the sector that you're focused on i imagine you know there really is ha- having that right sort of that group of people on your cap table that you can turn to must be a differentiator compared to you know it's quite a competitive space i spoke to literally yesterday for the podcast someone who runs a a, a fund called carbon 13 that you you may know of, um, you know, there's a lot of activity and thankfully movement now in this space compared to maybe when your dad sort of challenged you. So do you think um, having that sort of, a, you know, a cap table that, that, that has the, has that point of expertise, different differentiation is really important for that, that style of business, for the business, you're, you know, the sector you're focused on? Well, we, we took the decision to do crowdfunding. We've, we've actually crowdfunded on three separate occasions with Paul right. Uh, and that was partly because we felt that there would be lots of people in businesses who might be potential customers who would who would come on board. Right. And that has been useful, um, maybe not as useful as, as, as we would have expected and, and maybe not sort of as predictable in terms of who adds value and in, in what ways. Um, we've got shareholders who are, you know, successful entrepreneurs who really understand um, the different phases you go through, the the extreme highs and the quite extreme lows that you can go through. Yeah. And, and there, you know, there's there there are a few in particular who, are, their, their empathy is is really valuable and their understanding. Um, and then you have others who are well connected and want to try and connect you into places. And then you have others who have good creative, sometimes good creative ideas, and others who have good ideas but maybe they don't have enough context to make them brilliant ideas. Um, so. You know, I, th- I think I think I'm, I, I think it's been good what we've done, and we've been able to move a lot faster than we would have done without those people and without those funds. Um, so, 
And as you move forward, what's when you look at when you're focused on a, a sector like climate tech, what do you see uh, are the what you know, that that part? What, what do you see as the path through that where you actually can start to you know affect real world change? You know, over the next two to three years, what are the in, again not, not revealing anything confidential? But when you look at sort of those those KPIs, those milestones, what is it that you know we're seeing here in twenty twenty six, let's say, and you think actually we've we've affected real change? What, what does that look like? So I think there there are a few elements to that. One of the key trends that I think will happen is that um, you know CSR back in the day, now you know sustainability might be yeah. part of that. Um, are still peripheral to most businesses. M- most businesses are not B Corps. Um, they exist to, um, you know, brutally to um, protect their shareholders from getting uh, imprisoned if they kill people <laughs> and and split off profit. They, they don't exist for a higher purpose. And I think that if you want to properly embed sustainability in companies, that's a, that's a big commitment. Um, it involves getting integrated in lots of different parts in which lots of different ways in which businesses function and you, you need a supporting tool for that to happen um, and and so we're part of, of that of that change also part of into like meeting businesses where they are is about um, helping them to improve their current PL so if you look at the paw print ROI calculator we look at how investing in uh, sustainability and investing in sustainability engagement through uh, a, a platform like Pawprint really helps, um, the, you know, today's PNL, and that's critical as well if we're going to get change to happen. Um, there's there's a third point, Dan, that I think is really important, and that is that thanks to you know we've got about 50 customers, you know, large customers using the platform now, and we've introduced a benchmarking uh, element to that, so you can see not only what how you compare against other businesses for 30 of the goals that stem down from the science-based targets initiative and that are relevant to lots of employees but you can also see how other companies are um, successfully getting there so for example running a sustainability day is all very well but it doesn't actually you know move the needle when it comes to uh, you know the actions and habits that people are, are forming whereas running competitive sprints in an organization with some form of reward really does or integrating it within training or evaluation those are things that that really make sustainability more tangible and 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 take us forward so i guess our um, thesis is that in time it's going to be impossible for sustainability leads to be top quartile uh, and for their organizations to be top quartile when it comes to sustainability Without a tool like Pawprint and without the insights from, um, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of other people, do you think there's a link there? And please stop me if you think it's tenuous between sort of, you know, you are essentially playing a translation role, like in your previous business. This is a language, right? That you are trying to teach people and organisations to not only speak but to value and have feedback loops and all of these sorts of things. It, it's not similar to kind of learning a language um, and, and, and the way that people can't start to become fluent um, and those people uh, loops reinforce behaviors and values and customs. Can you see that connection between sort of what, you know, your former self, as it were, and your current current um, um, self? That's really interesting. Uh, I had, I've never thought about it like that before. Right. Um, I, I think there is something in it, though, that you are 
um, learning about different ways of doing things um, and you're trying to um, affect change in organizations that maybe you know are, are larger and therefore change is a little bit harder um, they're not they're not sort of sustainability natives if you like so yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, have you ever tried to learn a language of like a, an app like Busu or something? Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone through that process? Uh, I've, I've not done. I've, I've tried um, a, a little bit um, with. So my dad's Norwegian, and so right. I've tried to learn a, a bit better Norwegian. Um, it, um, but um, on, on Duolingo, but I've, I've not got not got too far. Too busy building the business, I guess. Yeah, but it's an interesting thing because obviously when you start, let's say you start Norwegian, I, I was choosing Spanish, you know, and, and they have to find a way for you to immediately be rewarded. Oh, even if it's the sort of most basic rudimentary sentence, you have to start to kind of have that feedback. That, you know, you're not learning as a child, you're learning as an adult, otherwise you're not going to do it again. And they, I think those, those apps got really, really good at, at kind of enabling you each day to incrementally sort of improve, um, and, but they constantly reinforcing. And I just imagine... You know, the, well, just going back to what you said earlier about you know CSR, which I think people understood, but it was such a, it, it wasn't a model that many people naturally gravitated to to B Corps. Again, I think you know I've done a lot of lot of good, but again, a lot of people find it quite abstract or hard. You know, like the, 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 to align with. I, I mean, a lot of people who would like to behave like that. So I think what you're doing is is, is saying like you know there is this translation exercise where you where behavior has to modulate and change. And that only happens through incre incremental measured behavior and feedback loops, right? Which sounds like what you're what 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 you're talking about, what you're what you're implementing at Forprint is. Am I am I in a, kind of the right space? Or yeah, I think you're you in think? the right space. Um, yeah, and 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 I guess you know if you think about that stereotype of the Brit abroad um, who yeah. you know, speaks English and it doesn't work, so they they shout English. Um, you can't, as a as a sort of sustainability leader, um, sort of just just expect speaking in a more sort of exasperated way to work. You have to meet the business as a whole where it is and, and integrate with business as usual, and and that's where I think Pawprint can 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 offer significant benefit. Um, so yeah, there's a lot around that sort of basic um, sort of communication requirement to understand where the other person's coming from um you know le like try and walk in their shoes learn learn their language and and, and meet them halfway um, definitely so i, I i'm assuming again like the, the name paw print because it's quite an unusual name in terms of um in terms of like the sector but i'm assuming it's because it's like you're, you're playing off you know a footprint and actually to leave a paw print is much lighter and that's what this is all about, right? Leaving, leaving a paw print is is what you want to do. You're never you're never going to not make an impact. But if it can be lighter and more defined, then that is 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 the sort of the clue in the name that is baked in. Like that's that's almost like what you're trying to end up with. Companies are leaving paw prints rather than footprints. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, a nice way of phrasing it. Again, um, that that that's definitely part of it. So we 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 bake into it measuring people's um, carbon footprint. We work with Mike Berners Lee. So yeah, their paw paw print and then we've got what we hope will become an, a sort of iconic um, graphic that shows people what their paw print is and the toe print so their diet their home their travel right and their, and their other spend um, and then the final bit I guess is around just sort of reflecting the kinship with nature I think we all understood better through the pandemic how connected we are to nature and we, we've got this non-judgmental polar bear called Bjorn the bear who's uh, 
she's like you're the, the friend that we all have who doesn't judge us too badly who's who's there when we want to you know uh, talk about something or ask about something so right let, let, let's dive into you know your native scotland and and uh, and talk about what the scenes like up uh, up there one of the things i'm really interested uh, we did a whole piece on um, the southwest as a region and i'm very very much interested in kind of uh, like perspectives that take it you know move capital and founding investor conversations away from being London-centric into regional areas. Um, you know, at Pellier, we believe in founder market fit, which is, you know, the right founder fixing the right problem at the right time, wherever they are. And obviously that immediately takes you in, into the region. But what, what, what's it like, um, Wilson, to talk to people from Manchester and Liverpool and the Midlands? And, uh, you yeah, know, I'd love to hear what, what, what it's, what's the, uh, let's use a cliche term, what's the ecosystem like there? What's it like being a founder and, and also an active investor in Scotland? Yeah, so I think you've got um, sort of four distinct city markets in Scotland, uh, Aberdeen, Dundee, Edinburgh and Glasgow, and then sort of pockets uh, elsewhere with Edinburgh having the sort of strongest um, recognisable um, big tech successes in, in Skyscanner and, and FanDuel yeah. and, and the ecosystem to support. Uh, Aberdeen, you've got some interesting stuff coming through in uh, health, so life sciences, and um, the obviously stuff around energy that's come from the oil and gas industry having uh, been there. Dundee is well known for uh, gaming, so a lot of lot of game software there. And then Glasgow, you've got a bit more around the sort of consumer facing, you know, just that's my broad brush. Um, yeah. uh, Edinburgh's got some decent uh, fintech. Um, and then you've got a sort of assortment of different businesses, whether they're fashion oriented or marketplace oriented or or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's um, th- there are some challenges around fundraising here. Um, I think there are a couple of like there's sort of one one VC really, and then you've got um, EIS funds, and and the EIS funds can be great, but sometimes they can uh, take up a little bit too. Uh, much in terms of the the share of a company when it's really young and that can create problems later on um what i would say is that having come through the, the scottish entrepreneurial system has been fantastic from a mentoring and support perspective um there's definitely you know it's easy to get access to people who have done exceptional things whether that's sort of more experienced um operators of huge businesses like Surrey and wood or whether that's um, you know, tech experts like um, Gareth Williams and, and Nigel Eccles, um, it's easy to get access to these folk. And, and I think that um, phenomenon, you know, cascades through the, the ecosystem really nicely. That's one thing I really like about Scotland. Do, do you do you notice the difference if you spend time, let's just say, in London, if you do, or or maybe in the US, I don't know, and then you come back to Scotland, like, did you, do you does it feel smaller or does it feel like it's a more intimate which is a, i guess there's it's, it's, it's there's a difference there like one is actually small and the other one like you said is actually it's really supporting it's really nurturing you can kind of get to people quickly is it or is it is it a balance of both i guess it's definitely smaller um and, and i think it's more intimate and i think the the pro to me is that um there there is uh, a lot of support um i think sometimes um we don't because we don't have as many of the huge success stories that you know a concentration like london has or 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 silicon valley even more sometimes i think we're not um thinking as internationally um and as as big as we might and and really thinking over the long term about 
fundraising decisions to make sure that we're ready to become truly you know iconic businesses i think that can be a challenge for us um, yeah, and, and, and the Ventures Together um, side of things, I know it's not Scottish specifically, but is there a kind of Scottish arm to that? Is there a group of you from Scotland that kind of participate in that? And then I'd love to hear a bit more about how that works and what that's like to be in that group. But is there a bunch of you that kind of from, from Scotland on those regions you mentioned who are participating in that? Or are you a lone, lone wolf in that, play, in, in, in that, in that pond? I think, I think I'm the only uh, sort of Scot living in Scotland. Um, there's a an, an Englishman I know living in Scotland, and then there are Scots not living in Scotland, um, down in London, or right. I, think, I think there's one in Paris. Right. Um, so it's, it's it's pretty. A lot of them are, have been in the the London and Southeast ecosystem, um, but it's great to you know that I'm part of that partly for investment purposes, but also learning. I learn so much from the other members, and I get to connect with them, and I and I find it um, really interesting. Do you want to just talk about uh, how it works and who set it up and kind of you know how you get together and like you said that, that fantastic kind of deal making process and tension between the Thursday and Monday? Can you share a bit more about how, how that that works? Yeah, so it was um, set up by a couple of guys, uh, Rob and Tom, who uh, had been in the entrepreneurial ecosystem in London and elsewhere. I know Tom spent time in San Francisco and in Kenya and weird and wonderful places. Um, and they built up a, a network of people like them who had um, entrepreneurial experience, had maybe had some uh, successful exits and who wanted to uh, dabble in investment, but found existing syndicates that didn't didn't quite um, do what they wanted um, them to do, didn't um, create the right sense of uh, community, maybe didn't have the same sense of purpose. And um, I think they set it up uh, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe longer than that. And they've got some just outstanding um, professionals on board who are, there's a very active series of WhatsApp groups um, discussing deals, but then also um, helping out with other bits and bobs as well. So it's a, it's a great community. So that's the, it's, it's on WhatsApp on a Thursday. Everyone gets together on, on, on that and discuss. And, 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 and how, do, if it's two deals, how do those deals enter into that conversation? Who selects the deals and what's the criteria? So Tom and the team curate uh, the deals. Uh, Rona Ruthen is now uh, running um, the business. Um, and yeah, they, they, they want to get deals that, I mean, the, the criteria are that there's, I think, a greater than one in 30 chance of it 100xing. Right, okay. So we're going for, you were putting small amounts of money into, by definition, risky, but high, high potential reward yeah. businesses. Yeah. Um, and 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 the, are the founders? Last couple of questions: Are the founders present on that call, or that, or you someone circulates the deal information, and then and then you'll get a chance to go away and think about it, and you have to come back on the Monday, or yeah, I'm in or out. It's, and and then I assume you're investing your own capital in that. Again, you're not investing as a syndicate in in that. Uh, There's a bunch of questions there, but yeah, like how, how are the deals being presented there? Um, is it pitch deck based? And then how is it? Uh, and then is the investment if you green light it a syndicate based? Because yeah, as I said, I'm very interested in that model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we um, all uh, can just make an investment straight away. There's a, an online system that we access, and it's um, you know the minimum tick, uh, ticket size is 1k. Uh, we've got to get to I think it's 20k as a group before it goes ahead, and um, 
yeah, the, the, there's a increasingly there's a call on a Monday with the founders to for us to ask the questions that we want and discuss it as a group and and see where we want to land. Um, so yeah, so very efficient. Very efficient. So this is a really good segue um, into the switch deck, uh, which is this like this distillation of of insights from. Um, from the podcast to date, really, and what your what your um, one of the key ideas in it, which which what you've just described is completely embodied and lovely to hear, is this idea that founders would much rather um, have a fast no than a slow yes. Um, equally, they would like a quick yes. But the the point being is that there's so much time is wasted, and 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 it doesn't help either side of the, the you know the, the founder or the investor. In sort of ambiguous, fuzzy communication where the dynamics aren't understood up front, and actually, really smart syndicates. Um, um, I'm just going to call venture together a syndicate for the sake of the conversation, and really smart founders want to engage now. They don't mind being told no. Just tell me really quickly, and if you can, tell me two or three reasons why that are valid and considered and not flippant. And it sounds like this this is working because it embodies this. Um, and there's the other one, it's like open communication as a currency, right? It's, it's the asymmetries that existed in investing, which I can't imagine you'd have much time for just listening to your story. It's like, it's so old school. No one wants that, right? Again, it's just be open um, with it. It's, it. It sounds like there's some principles that are mirroring those insights um, at play here. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we've spoken to investors and, and, and VCs of late, the um, yeah, people not coming back to you is, is is pretty outrageous. I think if if you've taken the time to to pitch to them, um, I think people um, coming back with the sort of generic rejection, like a, you know, it's too early for us, without any specific criteria, I yeah. think is, is increasingly unacceptable. I actually spoke to a fantastic investor earlier this week, uh, in um, who very heavily, like they must have had fifty or sixty very specific numbers oriented questions that allowed them to pre-qualify us yeah and then within 48 hours we were in front of the the, the partner yeah and that's the sort of way in which i think all of them should work you know be clear on what they want help you understand how they're measuring success and give you feedback on where you fall down and whether they genuinely do want to touch base with you in three to six months or whether it's a sort of fairly uh, flaky optionality play um yeah, I, I mean, I t- totally agree. And and this is this is so. So founder tech started because I you know, was developing black box, and I thought, oh, I'll, I think I'm part of something bigger conversation. And I kind of, sort of called it founder tech, and I thought maybe it's like a prop tech, health tech, founder tech. But actually, what has become more, and maybe it's more interesting, is like a a shorthand for a shift in behaviours. You know, particularly, and and what it's if you hone in even further than that, it's really like actually we can rewire the early stage ecosystem so it's much more efficient and there's all these different bits of founder tech whether it's a CFAS, whether it's an asa whether it's landscape whether it's vested whether it's black box and you put if you can launch those and people start using them and it elevates kind of like it, it standardizes the the low level boilerplate functions the identification the engagement the you know early communication and it elevates the high the high value ones like getting in front of the partner then everybody wins because well, everybody who is vested in kind of that that vision of the future wins, and the people who don't win, and who are the people who like you know getting a hundred decks, like going to events, <laughs> like taking three months, you know, and and like kind of like they like the uh, engagement, uh, you know, all all of that thing. I'm not, and I'm not, I actually I am knocking that person because I I think that person can actually do a lot of damage. Um, mm. 
obviously isn't a conversation about founder mental health and well-being, but I'm sure you've seen it. When that happens to people, it really can drag on the founder. You know, oh, another week turns into another week, and they start making decisions around that drag. And I think it's recognizing that those inefficiencies just aren't adding value anymore and aren't a sign of kind of a modern outlook um, or, or how anything, any double-sided marketplace should behave. And that's that kind of notion of ventures at a crossroads where it hasn't really innovated itself, disrupted itself, for, you know, in, in terms of these inefficient systems and behaviours. And that now is that time to do that. And these bits of founder tech are doing that. that, 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 does, that does that, what do you think of that? I mean, feel free to, to, to knock holes in that, but that's the kind of premise. And I hear what, what what you're describing is kind of at least partly aligned to that yeah no i mean and it made me think of um a founder i met up for met up with recently in whom i'd invested and he we got on really well and he sort of confided in me that he had had a bit of a breakdown um yeah after having done like endless pitching um to vcs yeah and, and not getting anywhere and this is someone who uh i rate hugely and um is extremely bright well educated as always i think what's quite interesting as well is um this individual happens to always have done very well uh, at yeah. university in his career before becoming an entrepreneur and so to go from continually being recognized and lauded to feeling pretty degraded was particularly tough for him yeah but, but i think it, it applies to anyone right any anyone who's got the guts and the you know the creativity to want to, to set up a business and, 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 and change the world in their own way um, needs needs support and needs to be enabled. Um, that's how we make progress in this world, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I know a similar person right now. I don't think we're the same person. You know, because obviously some founders are very fragile and they're not salespeople, and they are they just really understand the problem space. What we're calling like scalable niches. You know, a deep vertical, you know, loads of experience. We'll come on to founder market fit in a second, and they just want to solve that problem in a really compelling way. But they're not they're not showmen. They're not you know they're not televangelists. You know what I mean? They're not they're not out of some of the. I'm not I'm not even talking about introvert, introvert, extrovert. They just haven't got that personality and they never have done but that doesn't mean that they can't navigate into that kind of scalable niche but when you do meet people like the person that, you, that, you, that you're, you're talking about which is really the, the archetype of, of what everybody says should be a founder right i know one and i've been in a situation in a meeting where that i've seen someone with literally their feet up on a boardroom table so you've got you know you've got this round all i need from you is this and this you'll have it in three weeks i've got a group of people i invest with you know a guy leaves the meeting i'm like well done that's fantastic and then like months later that's been walked back to nothing and you see the effect that it has on him you know if you, you know if i consider this person my friend and you think that is not reasonable that's not that's not a reasonable form this is a really good founder he's gone on to prove that he's a really good founder mm. you know that's that I just, I just don't think anybody respects that anymore. And I think, you know, we've got to have founders. The founders, I think, that are doing the best are the ones who go, no, I'm not putting up with that. I'm not. I'm, I'm not <laughs> you can behave like that, but I'm, that's not for me. And, and yeah, I just think there's too much of that floating around. And, and the vision is, in two, three years, we actually engineer a lot of that out. That it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to you know the person you're talking about or I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, Let's move on to the concept of founder market fit. I do, do, does, that, does that phrase, I have kind of asked this question quite a lot, does that phrase come up um, in conversations as a, as a kind of cousin and counterpart and prelude to product market fit? Do you, do you find the phrase founder market fit comes up? Not too much. It's the sort of thing you, you read about. Um, and I guess you want um, 
founders who obviously un, un, understand the market and or and ideally are have, have some sort of deep motivation that's um that, that makes them willing to not not just un, not necessarily understand the market but understand the problem and be obsessed by that problem i think that's um that's clear um and ideally a sort of rounded team that that all have very good reasons for getting for getting stuck in yeah and i think there's a there's a link here between what you're describing at poor print and and, and a founder market that you know you need to have if you're going to evaluate a founder you know all we hear everyone hears is, is, is 80 percent is the founder early on right and yet there are very few models that measure that founder that measure that founder market fit. the fact that it's not a popular term i don't make any claim to inventing now i, I do sort of say coin founder term, but not that phrase right it's just out there and it, it makes intuitive sense to people when you say it why is there not why are there not their uh, models for that why doesn't every vc every investor go right when i'm in front of a founder this is how I'm going to translate the founder in front of me through this model, through this metrics. I, I don't, I, it almost seems bizarre to me that that's not, it is there in some VCs and it is there in some investors, but it's not a commonly held um, sort of dictum, as it were. I, I, and I wonder why you think that's the case, if you do have any thoughts on that. The founder market fit, um, side of things. Um, I mean, I guess I'm not close enough to VCs to know how they um, do the analysis. I think it's, in in the VT deals, I definitely think it's something that that people uh, reference when they when they see it. Um, um, maybe not using the phrase, but certainly, it, it you know, as you say, a huge percentage of it is about how likely that founder is to succeed. I think that's one of the questions in the that we answer with every deal in VT is how you know on a scale of one to a hundred, how likely is this team? To yeah. build a business that's 100x because if you come across someone who doesn't seem to have the hunger for it or where you just don't understand what it is that's driving them um and and we all we all know as well that the journey the entrepreneurial journey is not one of linear success right it has huge right. ups and downs and therefore if you don't find the subject matter or the problem type compelling you're unlikely to stay the journey so um i agree it's a critical it's a critical consideration yeah yeah it, it, it's it's almost like um prevalent by its absence if you know what i mean the fact that it's not there not referred to as because it's a low-hanging fruit as a term to use piece of language um just before we sort of close um a couple of sort of it's sort of not, not not quick fire questions but uh, but one one of the ideas that comes up is that um you know, uh, evaluating subsurface cues in founders is really key. You know, when you're going, i.e., the, the, the investor is reading, reading other things as well about the founder. When you're going now into into your raise, which we should talk about, and maybe maybe close on you know what you're looking for. Um, what is it that you're, as an experienced founder, what is it that you're trying to convey to that investor? Not just in the information, but but, but how are you trying to communicate other things to them? I.e., I'm a I'm a very you know, I'm someone you can trust. I'm someone you can back. Not someone that knows you. What what, what sort of those subsurface cues are you uh, sort of aware of and leveraging it um, when you go into those conversations? Mm, yeah. So there was an interesting conversation yesterday um, about hiring a sales lead, for example. And and I had a bad experience in my previous business where we were trying to sort of up the level of all of the execs and we uh, unsuccessfully, which is pretty common. Our our sales our, our first sales director. Did not work out, out. Um, and um, 
I guess I was trying to reassure the investor that I had, I have, I literally have this, well, I don't literally have the scars, but I have the mental scars of, yeah. um, of that mistake. And so I think I'm less likely than anyone to make that particular mistake um, again. And, you know, I think what's quite interesting to me with, with Pawprint, we, this is, this is not just about founders, but a lot of the people who were involved early doors had come out from very successful uh, companies, you know, in two cases, unicorns, and they'd been senior execs and, 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 and done very well. But towards the end of their time there, they'd had their confidence destroyed by um, poor management, I would say. And I think there's an interesting thing for second time founders and, and founders who have maybe been going for quite a while. Um, your confidence may may flow away a little bit. And I think I feel pretty strongly that uh, founders should recognize how long they should stay in a business and also that they've learned a huge amount and that they're very attractive, irrespective of how successful the outcome was as an investment proposition again. So um, that may not answer your question, Dan, but I think it's an important point that the, yeah. you know, you're, you're learning so much as you found a business and you can go again. Yeah, it, I think it is on point and I think it came up uh, in a conversation where a founder had exited from the business earlier than she thought because she realized that she had enough advisors um, and she was bright enough to kind of and aware enough to kind of go to those advisors for perspective. And they were like, you're at an inflection point. The risks, if you continue, are this. And there's unlike, and, and, they, and then the reward, if you exit here, is this. And to be able to kind of, I think that's a hard thing to do if you're bought into one, the whole myth of being a founder and taking it all the way, you know, and, and I, I don't personally believe that there are many of those founders that can do that because it's different sets of skills. But equally, you know, if you're if you're it's the first time you've done this, and so the first time you arrived there, it's hard to do. So I think that is definitely a important subsurface here is to kind of to own that you understand where the inflection points are, um, and 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 have a very sort of sort of honed viewpoint around that, rather than just kind of a hyped opinion about this is going to do this and this is going to do this, and you know it's all going to be sort of cream um, all the way. Um, my last question before I hand the mic back to you, and anything, whatever you, however you'd like to close, whatever you'd like to do, a shout out to people uh, around anything we discussed. Um, do you have a favorite piece of founder tech or a piece of founder tech that's caught your eye just that, that, that sort of sits in the ecosystem? You think, well, that does something really cool that, you know, in a, in a much more efficient way. Do you, do you have one? Sorry, a favorite piece of founder, founder tech. tech. Yeah. Founder tech. That's really interesting. So, so a sort of tool that I use time and time again that, that helps me. Anyway, I mean, even in some ways, founder tech is what you describe as a, of a Thursday call, WhatsApp, and a Monday decision. That is a form of, but but like you know, like vested with the cap table, for example, is a piece of founder tech. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you, you that you use or have seen used in in a, an interesting way that you go, actually, that's a really good use of that kind of technology? It doesn't have to be a massive platform. It could, it could be something really small. God, I um, I'm, I'm a little bit stumped by that. I mean, I would plump for VT as being. Um, for for an exited founder who wants to, you know, meet great people, learn, invest, yeah. that that's a, that's a fantastic tool for me, and so that's what that's what I would um, I would go to. 
I think that's definitely definitely one. So I think the way it's behaving is sort of like I said, mirroring a lot of things that have come up come up in, the, in, in this discussion. Okay, so uh, over to you. Any like you know anything that you'd like to sort of um, throw out to people? We'll put your contact details in the show notes. Um, but yeah, anything at all. Yeah. So I guess to um, people working in larger businesses, white collar businesses, and professional services, financial services, and tech. Um, if you want your companies to lead the way when it comes to sustainability through engaging their people, please get in touch. And uh, for investors, so we're looking for um, investors who will lead, um, and they can lead between 250k and 1.5 million in this current round ending the 26th of April, and uh, followers may well uh, also be able to come along. Um, and um, yeah, it's it's a way of making money and making uh, real impact as well. We've got got huge ambitions for Paw Print. So, thank awesome. you, Dan, for for the opportunity. Awesome. No, thank you, Christian, for for sharing um, that multifaceted journey and really, really, really interesting. Um, and wish you every success with the round and Paw Print going forward. Thank you, Dan.